It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Here on the podcast, we like to challenge myths, stereotypes, and stigmas associated with addiction. And that's uh, basically the theme of what I'll be speaking about at the Thunder Bay Harm Reduction Virtual Conference. It's presented by the Thunder Bay District Health Unit with support from Thunder Bay Drug Strategy. It's happening November 16th. We'll post the info up at addictsinthedark.com. It's caller 23 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey man, how you doing? I'm good in the hood. By hood, I mean a friendly neighborhood of Southeast Vancouver. Anyway, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for asking. So you're uh, aware of how all this goes? Yes, sir, I am. No names, no iPhone pin drops, and a maximum of an hour. All right, gotcha. So tell me your story about addiction. Oh, man. So a little background. I am a 24-year-old Hispanic male. I grew up in a somewhat of a stable family, you could say, both parents together. Uh, Well, I did have an alcoholic father who is now um, sober and emigrated here to the U.S. I was around two years old, and I moved back to Colombia when I was 10 to receive our green card to be able to come back to the States. So, of course, you know, I get to, to, well, the country I'm originally born and I am surprised, you know, it's a big cultural change. So, yeah, you know, I start making friends, you know. I've always been, well, a musically inclined person, very creative. I play the drums, um, very sport-minded to soccer, basketball. So I get into that, you know, being in Colombia, of course, I'm the I'm the American kid, so to say, you know, I speak English, you know, just trying to adapt, make friends, make the best out of the situation. At 14, I tried weed one one time and I was with a couple of friends and, you know, of course, I got high. I liked it. So I tried it. I got caught with my friends because I think one of my Homies left a Facebook chat open and one of their parents saw the conversations we were having. And, and yeah, this was all in the capital city of Bogota, Colombia. And um, so we got caught. My parents sat me down and, and like, you know, got home from school. They sat me down. They did a whole PowerPoint about, you know, how weed can kill and, you know, all of that, what it causes. And, you know, that propaganda at the time, you know, my mom cried and my dad was like, he had like this, like, I don't know, man, like disappointment, but not worried face because, you know, like he had experienced alcoholism and obviously, of course, he didn't want me to go down that route. So for at least a year, I didn't do nothing. I mean, you know, got in trouble with the school as well. And so this passes by, I turned 15, I come back to the States. You know, um, I had left when I was 10. So, of course, all my all my friends that I made from 
kindergarten to like fifth grade. I came back to, and a lot of people didn't recognize me. I'm like, hey man, remember? And whatever, we got, we tapped back into, you know, friendships. And I came back to the same city where, where I currently live and where I grew up. So that'd be Miami, Florida. And, um, you know, I'm in high school. It's, of course, it's a completely different system. You know, again, you know, a, a system shock and a cultural shock. And it's very different, you know, coming from a Christian school to a public school system here in the U.S. And I'm I'm in a very, well, yeah, certain part of Miami where there's a lot of well-off families and, you know, that they're able to provide to their families, to their kids, I'm sorry. And when I came back, it was just my mother and I, my dad, well, he had gotten deported, so he still couldn't come back not legally at least. So it's just me and my mom. And so I start seeing, you know, my mom working like a, like crazy. Of course me, I'm practically alone all the time. So I see one of, one of my homies selling food at school and I'm like, Hey, you know, free market competition. Let me, you know, let me try to help my mom out. So, you know, a light bulb lit up in my head and, um, I started, you know, doing the opposite of the food he was doing. So he was doing arepas. I was doing empanadas. Well, I'm Colombian. So boom, boom, you know, and that's how where I knew where I started meeting a lot of people, you know, because I was that guy selling that, you know, good food and, you know, and um, I eventually got to selling them like 80 of them a day. And I was making, you know, good cash. It was straight. It was just cash. And, um, uh, of course, I wasn't getting the credits I needed to graduate, and I'm already like a senior at this point. And um, I'm getting late to school. I'm skipping school, like I said, just doing everything I wasn't supposed to. And eventually, you know, I just saw like, yo, fuck this shit. I'm going to drop out, and I'm just going to get my GED. Like, fuck this. I already made my money, so I had a couple, couple bucks, you know, saved up. And um, I was really close to one of my homies we're from the same place, same city, you know, um, same situation. Like I related to him a lot, you know, my mom and me here and he was reversed. So he only him and his dad were here. So we just got along and, um, he told me that he was selling weed. So, you know, we started, we got into that. We started selling weed, this and the other, boom, boom, boom. And, um, we started making a lot of money, like crazy amounts of money and everything good but obviously me being here I, I knew like in the back of my mind I'm not a U.S. citizen I just had a resident card so you know um, if I do get caught with you know trafficking drugs and as a resident well I can most likely I'm gonna get deported so you know with that with that in mind you know came a lot of feelings of anxiety of stress of paranoia and stuff that obviously the weed you know no matter where it came from or how good it was wouldn't silence that kind of things in my head so you know superficially we had everything cars women apartments i'm like 19 living in a in almost a penthouse like it was the floor below penthouse i was renting every type of car each week and all of this you know clubbing spending thousands on on the table just doing trying to fill up hold up sorry this is all from selling just weed yeah that's uh, that's that's quite the markup down there. Yeah, man. Obviously, I had my clients. My boy had his clients, so that would make everything quicker. And um, so yeah, so boom, boom. You know, we just making money, but at the same time, like I knew what I was doing was wrong. I could get caught up in any moment, robbed, taken to jail. You know, start spending crazy on lawyers. 
you know, like the, obviously my mom's smelling the weed. I'm having to lie to my mom. You know, my dad is in Colombia. I'm helping, of course, at this time, I'm helping my mom out, like, like whatever she needs, you know, like I wasn't li- living with her, of course, but whatever she needed, you know, hey, mom, here's the cash. My dad in Colombia, I'd send him money, to, you know, to pay his phone, pay his, his public transportation because, you know, I wanted him back here. So I didn't, you know, over there in Colombia, they'd stab you for a phone. Like they'll rob it and stab you. So I, I, I would tell him, hey, don't catch the bus, get taxis, send him money for that, whatever he needed, you know. But um, I had to keep myself on point. I feel like the mind can take only so much, you know. So um, I was like the weed wasn't working, you know, anymore. Like I was just getting high because I, it was a habit, you know. I was used to getting high and rolling up and smoking and until like, you know, um, we started to tap into like the opiate, you know, the lean, then boom came the thirties, the Percocets. And I'm, I'm in my head like, Hey man, like this is prescription medication. I didn't know nothing about addiction at this point. You know? So I, I popped my 30, uh, for like the first times I'm nodding off crazy, you know? And, um, like my boy, he didn't really, he didn't really see it. Like I saw it, you know, he wasn't really like, excited about finding something i was excited about finding something new you know something that numbed me inside my that shut off my the the what the the voices in your head yeah the voices in my head you know you can create space between triggers and reactions with Melissa Armstrong coaching go to strongarm.ca for more now would you say those voices in your head we're telling you to stop doing what you're doing? Definitely a, a big part of it was that, you know, um, my consciousness was, you know, on me. So, you know, I tried these pills and, and um, I, just, I fell in love, bro. It made me careless. It made me like, well, I, I thought, you know, I felt too that it made me careless, chill, like, uh, I'm good, I'm Gucci, nothing's going to happen. You know, those voices in my head weren't there anymore. And of course, like, I didn't, like, I mean, it, it, like like addiction, it's progressive, right? So it started with 130 or like maybe two Percocets and then two Percocets didn't work anymore. And then it went up to all the way to like, there was a time I was taking like maybe 1030s a day, you know? So, and obviously like nodding off on my Friends are like seeing me like, hey, man, you're going to roll up the blunt. I take like three hours to roll up a blunt and I'm nodding off standing up. And so it went like that for a long time, man, a long time. Eventually, like that good life started to go down. You know, I started to care more about um, the oxys and, and feeling good and paying rent. And then, you know, um, and, uh, the, the first time I withdrew, I went to Colombia to to say hi to my dad, you know, it's been four years since I've seen him. So, you know, I'm making money. I can go, I can, you know, um, I could fund myself, bought my ticket. I went and, uh, man, that was the worst shit ever, bro. I had no idea what withdrawals were. I get there and I just start puking, diarrhea, cold shades, hot, hot, cold sweats, hot sweats. I'm kicking around my dad was like, what the fuck? Like, what is it? So I told him the truth and because I didn't know nothing about withdrawals. And then he explained to me like, hey, you know, so what you're consuming is practically heroin. You know, but obviously in my head, like, they're, they're, and 
physically they're pills you know it's not heroin so i'm like i'm kind of in denial but at the same time i'm living this shit so i'm like fuck man so obviously um i go to a clinic because i'm feeling like shit 3 a.m i can't sleep and they try they prescribe me methadone and i'm like nah fuck that i'm not trading one addiction for another so i cold turkey that bitch and with time i felt a little better started eating more you know my dad was there with me through it all and boom i came back to the states obviously i relapsed because I wasn't aware of addiction, man. Like I came back and I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm 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 clean for a month, for a month and a half. I could do one or two, you know, I, you know that type of bullshit. My mind started telling me, boom, fell right back in it. And I'm, at this point, I'm already losing my apartment. I had crashed my car. The money, as quick as I got it, it was just going away, you know. And obviously, people are seeing that, you know, my friends, the guy from Cali. So, starting, you know, burning my bridges slowly. And um, it got to a point where um, I couldn't afford the, the, the oxys and I started dabbing into the Xanax. So, you know, I'm going down spiral. My main goal was get pills, you know, not even, yeah, smoke some weed, but pills and weed, pills, weed, boom. And then I ended up in the street um, for like a week and I told my mom, hey, I can't do this shit no more. Like, I, I, I can't do this, you know? And um, I... I told her, like, okay, I'll go into rehab. You know, she was, was pushing me with that for a long time. And I was like, yeah, man, this homeless shit, I can't do it. Like, this is not life for me. So she got me a hotel for a night, and then my dad picked me up. This was, like, um, no, uh, August of 2020. My dad is already, was already here in the States, you know, legally and stuff. And um, they, my parents got separated shortly after he came here, which made me spiral down as well to, you know, depression, anxiety, and and I just, my choice of, of coping, my coping skill was drugs. So anyway, went into this uh, rehab that was like, you know, non-state, non-insurance uh, funded. It was like for people that didn't have funds and stuff. So obviously, like, you keep it up yourself. You do maintenance yourself. You cook. And for a while, you know, it brought me a little back to, to you know, my soberness. You say my sobriety, sorry. So like having fun without drugs, without that stuff. And, you know, but obviously I had my reservations about, man, I want to get the fuck out of here. Like, fuck waking up at 5 a.m. and shit. Fuck this stuff. But I had signed a contract of 90 days. So I had to do my 90 days. As soon as my 90th day came up, hey, mom, get me out of here. And I lasted a couple months, you know, a couple weeks. <laughs> Sober, boom, I relapsed, you know. And obviously, well, in my case, each each relapse is worse than before, right? So I'm relapsing with Zans, with Oxys. I think the Dirty 30s were coming into the game and stuff. And, uh, you know, at this point, well, I, throughout all of this, I had, you know, I was still selling where I could. Obviously not at, not like before, but, you know, getting, I was trying to just make some money for my fix, you know, for my pills. So I was, hey, man, you needed Xanax, Oxys, Perks, weed, whatever, hit me up, whatever it was, whatever drug that I had access to, like, I was going to sell it 
And I started making some money, you know, and I started, you know, fuck, that hustle in me, I guess, as well. Like, that hustling, that wanting to sell, like, that. And, and I was not only addicted to, the, I feel like I wasn't addicted only to the substances, but addicted to the lifestyle, to the moves, to the, oh, shit, the cop behind me, oh, shit, you know, fuck, who is this, who's texting me, how can I make this money? I was addicted to, you know, hey, man, let me get the pills at 7 a pop, 8 a pop, you know, I'll get one, I'll get um 30, let me get 50, you know, of the 30 30s that I started selling, you know, so I was all, always, like, trying to sell some drugs like i was addicted to selling drugs too so you know taking 30s in the zans and that i knew they were yeah they were pressed because like well i started with with real pharmaceutical things you know i knew that that there was fentanyl in it but i wasn't told this belief and denial that i could overdose one day i was like no just to clarify when you say you knew the pills were pressed the dirty in dirty thirties is the fentanyl and or the heroin that it's being pressed with, but they're they're made to look like regular thirty milligram pharmaceutical oxys. Yeah, but nah, nah, I knew it. You know, I knew they were dirty thirties because there's no way somebody is selling me thirties at seven dollars a pop. Like no, no fucking way. Like I, I, I had been in the job game, so I know. You know what I mean? I know, like when a price is right and it's 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 equal to what it is you know what i mean so you knew the risk or the added risk you were incurring by taking these pressed pills but what about your customers the people you were selling the pills to i mean honestly um it's weird, man, because I've, I've thought the same thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've been myself to that question. And it's like, I sold to people who didn't know and to people, well, that I'm pretty sure they didn't know. It's hard, man, you know, because at the same time, I feel like maybe if someone that wasn't consuming the 30s or, you know, or maybe someone that wasn't going through addiction, me, bro, I mean, I think I was just like, you know, fucking mode. I was just me, 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 my pocket, my high overly selfish like me 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 my way of getting high shit if i need to sell this shit so i can get more and sustain my addiction and and you know keep having you know pills on me and getting high well so be it so during this time you know i was able to get a box of 30 oxycodones 40 milligrams for 60 bucks like pharmaceutical and i was just man i was embarrassing nodding off everywhere you know like with my ex-girlfriends like mother taking me out to dinner my face in the chat in the in the plate you know like fucking embarrassing bro just crazy you know and i think like i think the people that are still with me to this day are with me like because they really do appreciate me and love me you know what i mean because man that shit is crazy like what i put people through man it's just like I think there's only one answer and it's love, you know? So anyway, going back to um the dirty thirties and, you know, making money, boom, boom, boom. And then one day, you know, my dad stand, stood me up for lunch and, um, you know, I feel like when in, in addiction, we, we make things bigger than they really are, you know? So at least in my case, you know, the fact that my dad stood me up, I was like, Oh my God. All of that shit. Maybe he was just busy, or you know, his phone died, or he forgot to call me back. Like you know, 
So I just went into this crazy episode. I just, I popped like, I don't know, like two 30-30s and I had bar like Xanax on me already. So I get home, you know, during this whole like disaster day and um, my homie picks me up and I have a blunt, we go smoke. I sell him some Xanax and um, I'm with my dog, you know, my excuse to go get high was, hey, I'm going to walk the dog. So I go and I'll come back. I'm walking home. My girlfriend FaceTimes me and she's like, hey, you look weird, you know? And um, I'm like, what? What do you mean weird? I mean, I was just smoking. I feel normal. You know, that thing that, that um, Alprazolam gives you that delusion of sobriety when you think you're like sober, but you're really fucked up. And you really look like shit, but I think that was my case there. And so I was like, nah, babe, you're you're tripping. Let's watch a movie. You know, she was on FaceTime, so we have an app called um like we put Netflix movies together, send her a link and she so we put the movie on and I just started, you know, nodding off. I just remember I closed my eyes. Boom. And she's like, Oh shit, he fell asleep. I'm gonna hang up. She started talking to me and I wasn't responding. So she's like, Hey, boom, boom, like, hey, what the fuck? hangs up and then my mom just hears me she thankfully she was in in her room you know she hears me death rattle you know trying to grasp grab my brain is trying to breathe get some oxygen she's like what the fuck is that noise well this is her her account what she tells me to this day she's like what is that noise so she goes to my room and she sees me trying you know like eyes closed almost like like the undertaker you know going like up and i'm purple blue you know, my face, I'm trying to grab some air. So luckily at the time we lived in front of a hospital, like a couple blocks, like three blocks, four blocks. She calls 911, the dispatcher tells her what to do to keep me, you know, some oxygen from coming to come through uh, while the paramedics get there. So the paramedics come to the, to the scene, they narc at me twice, nothing. And they use a defilibrator is called on me to get a pulse because I have no pulse. And that's when I woke up. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I'm scared, and I'm 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 on a gurney, like on the back of an ambulance. I'm just like in denial, disbelief. You know, like what happened? You know, I'm. I mean, I'll have all my limbs. I'm good, and the paramedic is in my face with like two thirties, and she's like, "Well, how many of these did you take? Answer me." And I just I just said two to like you know answer something. And whatever they Baker Act me, so in Florida they can Baker Act you, hold you for a psychiatric evaluation for seventy-two hours, and they held me in there for ten days, bro. Ten days, and I was going through psychosis of the Xanax. I felt like I could transmit my thoughts through um, static, so I was rub- rubbing doorknobs, <laughs> you know, swearing that. I could, you know, communicate with my girlfriend telepathically and with the head of the nurse so I could get the fuck out and just crazy stuff, bro. And my girlfriend was calling me, you know, obviously, like, I, she didn't know shit until, you know, I told her finally, like, I opened up and I told her and she was like, well, she decided to support me, man, till this day. And I got out the hospital. I couldn't really open my eyes. It was weird, bro. It was really weird, weird experience. And, um, and, but that didn't stop me, bro. That didn't stop me. This overdose was November of last year. That didn't stop me. So like December, like I'm, I was thinking like buying real pills was not going to make me overdose, which in a way it did kind of not make me overdose as badly as compared with like 30, 30s. 
So I would, you know, hit up the guy with the real 30 and all, all of this behind my girlfriend's back and lying and keeping up this fake, fake shit, fake life, lies, 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 fighting because of my lies and getting caught up and all of this. And I go to Colombia, I see her, I stay for a month with her, you know, I'm sober for all this time, you know, for a month. I come back, you know, and I'm sober for also like almost three months, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, escape my head, you know, me. So I'm like, hey, so my problem was with oxys. So I could, you know, I could buy a strip of Xanax and I could deal with it. So that's what happened. I bought a strip of Xanax and for like five days, I went in this week long binge with a new motorcycle I had bought. I freaking crashed my motorcycle. I got a concussion. I was in the hospital, you know, um, unresponsive. Then I woke up, you know, like, I don't know how my toxicology screen screen came out clean. And then I got out of that. I went into the binge again, you know, and fuck, man, it was crazy. I don't remember nothing about that relapse. I really don't. All I, all I know is, you know, what people tell me. My mom tells me what my girlfriend tell me, tells me, you know, I ended up going to Macy's on Xanax and stealing, you know, with my motorcycle helmet to like have my face thinking nobody was going to notice like fucking crazy. So after that, I don't know what made me get, take the decision of going into detox, you know, seven day detox. But then, you know, looking, I was like, well, my mom told me, Hey, well, you're not coming home after this detox. You got, got to find somewhere to go like a rehab, like, you know, work on yourself, on your, you know, your addiction, try to understand, you know, learn about addiction. And, you know, the, the person at the, at the detox told me about this place. It's a reality based facility. You're housed with, um, individuals that are getting treatment, you know? Um, and man, I don't know, bro. It was like a God sent facility, bro. Like I learned so much about my mind my ways, you know, myself, you know, um, uh, my self image, my self talk, uh, you know, it was reality based. So like we're in a, in a complex where there's other people smoking weed and, you know, drinking and stuff like that. But I feel like that helped me like open my eyes to the fact that I have a choice to make that I am powerful, you know, that I, I am more powerful and have more potential than I, than I think I do. You know, that my choice has a consequence, whether it is positive or negative, you know, but I always do have a choice. I do always have responsibility and accountability, you know, that, that work of getting my family's trust back, them seeing me good, them telling me, Hey man, you look way better. You know, you have color, you have some weight on you. You know, you talk different, you walk different, you move different, you know, um, like everybody, like, you know, with a, an expectation of seeing me, you know, come out good and keep it good, you know? And I'm not saying like it's been perfect, right? But I mean, I'm sober, bro. Like the choice of staying sober allows me to not go through withdrawals and not go through burning my check in a matter of three days for, because of drugs or lying to my family, to my girlfriend, to my dad, you know, um, waiting for the plug to answer for him, you know, doing, doing bullshit, this and the other, you know, all the stress that comes from 
a lifestyle of addiction and it's like I could finally breathe, man. Since like I was sixteen, like I could finally breathe. But I am the type of person that like I do go to, you know, I I like to keep balance, you know, work, family, friends, my girlfriend, recovery. So it's not like I do ninety and ninety, right? Um, I I go like once, twice a week, you know, um keep myself in the environment. Um you know, keep myself like not forget where I come from or what I've done, you know, or relate to certain things. And it took me a lot of time and a lot of just consequences, a lot of money on lawyers, a lot of, you know, guns to my face to realize like, holy shit, man, something's got to change. I got to change, bro. And never really thought it was going to be possible, you know, but here I am, you know, I'm coming up on what, um, and so in nine days, I turned six months, which is the longest run I've had ever sober. I come up on six months and I can't believe it, you know, like that's half a year. <laughs> so yeah, man, I mean, hey, if I could do it, anybody can do it really. You know what I mean? In situations where environmental factors like stress and poverty play into drug dealing, simply getting a drug dealer to stop is often not a solution. Instead, they have to be able to find an alternative to provide for themselves or their family, or face the reality that drug dealing is too high of a risk to be a sustainable option. And police can get involved, arrests can be made, rehab programs can be completed, but I think we need a top-down approach because these problems are at the top. Talking about the cost of living, wages, inflation, we have to remember that people aren't homeless and deal drugs because they're addicts. They're addicts and deal drugs because they're homeless. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.